Well, good afternoon. If you looked at your schedule and you're not in the right place, now would be a great time to leave. But if you did look at your schedule and you're in the right place, you'll notice that the title is a little bit different than what you see in your um, in your booklet. And that's intentional. Um, we started out with seven principles and we narrowed it down to five. Um, let's go ahead and get, get started. What we're going to do today is I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Everybody can hear me? Yes. All right. I'm going to give you a little background of myself and my family and kind of tell you a story that God started writing many years ago. Then we're going to talk about the Great Commission, and I have an illustration for you that will clearly, in terms that we can understand, show you the way the Great Commission, what it is and how it can be accomplished. And then we're going to talk about five principles to accomplish the Great Commission that we're calling five principles for empowering on short-term trips. Okay? All right. So this is my family. If you look up there, there is one boy. He is actually not part of the family yet. He and my oldest daughter are getting married at the end of January. Um, the rest of the girls, uh, my wife is standing next to me, and then, and then our other five. So we have six daughters. But about four and a half years ago, um, God decided that we should have seven daughters. And so uh, there's one that maybe is a little bit different complexion than the others. She's been with us for about seven and a half years, or sorry, four and a half years. And then eight weeks ago, her friend uh, growing up, who's 19, had a baby nine weeks ago, moved in with us eight weeks ago. And so our house is crazy. People oftentimes ask me, uh, hey, uh, why do you travel so much? One of the most common questions I get at this conference is, uh, so how's your dad doing? Uh, my dad's doing okay. Um, if you were here, uh, you can watch it online, but about seven or eight years ago, he came and spoke because nine and a half years ago, he had a spinal cord injury, um, stepped out at that point in time of day-to-day ministry at ITEC, but came, if you have not seen it, it is a, um, his talk seven or eight years ago, was one of the most highly attended, and it clearly um, shows how North Americans do missions. And so uh, if you get a chance, look that up. Um, that was in the chapel. But my parents are doing okay. Um, my dad is it's very cyclical. Some days are good days. Some days are bad days. Um, some weeks are good weeks. Some weeks are bad weeks. And he never knows until he wakes up what kind of week it's going to be. But they live three miles from where I work at ITEC, and I live about seven miles away from them. Um, this is my, these are my grandparents, Nate and Marge Saint. Um, I'm going to give you a brief overview of this story, because that really leads into what we're going to talk and how we learned about these five principles that we're going to talk about today. So my grandfather, Nate, was a missionary pilot down in the Amazon rainforest of Ecuador, serving missionaries who lived out in the, in the rainforest. And um, there was one group of people that lived in the rainforest that, that nobody had ever had a friendly contact with. And my grandfather felt like God was telling him 
that his job was to reach these people. At that time, they were known as the Alkas. Today, they're known as the Waldani, which is what they call themselves. And so he put together a group of five men, himself, Jim Elliott, Raju Darian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley, to go and reach these people that nobody had ever had friendly contact with. Now, to understand a little bit of the story, the, this people group was a egalitarian society, meaning that there was no hierarchy of any kind. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. But there did become four unwritten rules that everybody lived by. And they went something like this. Rule number one. If somebody does something that offends you, ignore it. Rule number two. If somebody does something that offends you and you can't ignore it, kill them. Rule number three. If somebody kills somebody in your family group, it's not only your right, it's your obligation to kill somebody in their family group. And finally, rule number four, if, whether you've been offended or to avenge a death in your family group, you're going to kill somebody in another family group, take your whole family group with you, kill the whole other family group, that way there's nobody left to come kill you or your family. They had at least a 60% homicide rate inside the tribe. Anthropologists who have since studied the tribe have called them the most violent society to have ever existed on this planet that's been studied. But my grandfather believed what the Bible says is true, that in the last day, there will be people from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue willingly before God's throne giving Him praise. And you know, oftentimes, you know, it's been said, you know, go everywhere you go, preach, and if you need to, use words. But in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Nobody has ever gotten saved by the way that you live. The way that you live gives credibility to the message that you speak. So for 13 weeks prior to, um, to having the first friendly contact, they wanted to show the tribe that they were friendly. So they did what my grandfather devised called the bucket drop, where he would lower a, he would let out about 1,000 to 1,200 feet of line with a bucket tied on the end behind his airplane. And then he would make very tight circles about 500 feet above the ground. And as he would work, the bucket would go in the opposite way until the bucket would hang motionless at the vortex of the cone. So as he was flying, he was able to do this to, to lower like medications and sensitive things to missionaries. But in this way, they were giving gifts to the Indians to show that they were friendly. Well, soon the Indians began giving gifts back. And so for 13 weeks they did this exchange. My grandfather would give them like pots and pans, things like machetes, things that they could only get by killing outsiders. Well, they gave things like, um, you know, combs that they would use, feathered headdress. You guys know the toucan, right? The fruitloo bird, Right? They make just really intricate feathered headdresses out of those feathers. They gave a live parrot, which became my dad's pet. They even gave roasted monkey meat. Now, if any of you, I know we have some missionaries in here. Have you had roasted monkey meat? You have. Would you like to know what it tastes like? Well, so I, I heard a few people say chicken. It doesn't. It tastes just like toucan. 
Some of you will get the like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> so finally, um, at Christmas time, they decided it was time to begin to actually make contact. My grandfather had located a beach about 600 feet long on the edge of the Iwanguna or Kudurai River. And uh, it was hard enough to land on. They had prefabricated a treehouse and they were making their plans. In my grandfather's journals, which uh, if you stop by our booth and pick up a copy of End of the Spear, um, I'm going to try to get this right because I didn't bring a book with me. But he said this. Now, he was the oldest member of the group. He was 32 years old. He said, as we have a high old time this Christmas, may we who know Christ hear the cry of the damned as they hurtle headlong into the into the endless night without ever a something, a hope. May we who know Christ, okay, hear the cry of the damned. And then he said this. He said, if God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us and we would charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us. Hmm, I'm going to leave it there. You have to, page 309 of End of the Spirit, you can read it for yourself. So early January... They landed on the beach. My grandfather ferried the men in. They had prefabricated a treehouse to protect themselves from the wild animals. Finally, after being in the jungles a few days, every night my grandfather would fly the plane out, fly in in the morning. January 6th, a Friday, there was a friendly contact. Two young ladies and a young man came out of the jungles. There was no animosity, no hostility. Spent the day there together on the beach. My grandfather gave... Nankiwi, at least two rides in his airplane. These guys were excited because they knew the next chapter that God was going to allow them to share the good news of Jesus with these people, the wild Donnie, who so desperately needed it. But if you know the story, January 8th, two days after that, the Indians came back and they speared my grandfather and his four friends to death. But you see, when God writes stories, He doesn't write the whole story in one chapter. The next chapter opened two years later when my great-aunt Rachel was invited in to live with the tribe. And then two years after that, my dad got to go in. And when my dad went in, the man who killed my grandfather, a man by the name of Minkai, adopted my dad as his own son. Fast forward all the way to 1994, and I, I know I'm jumping real quick, um, because we could sit here and just tell you one little aspect of the story that would take all of our time. But when Aunt Rachel died of cancer, my dad went down and he was there for her burial. And afterwards, the people came to my dad and they said, Look, we want you. Now the Nemo, Aunt Rachel is dead. We say that you come and live with us. Now, the reason, and when we moved down there in 1995, we found out why they wanted us to live down there. They said this, <clears throat> foreigners are always coming and they're, they're fixing our medical problems, they're fixing our dental problems, but they said there's two problems with that. Problem number one, they only come when it's convenient for them, not when we have a problem. And this is the, this is the foundation of, of what we're talking about today. 
They only come when it's convenient for them, not when we have a problem. Problem number two, when they come, they can only meet a physical need, but our people have a bigger need than a physical need. They have a spiritual need. So they said this, if you will come and you will teach us how to do what the outsiders know how to do, medical care, dental care, and flight, they said, we will not only be here when there's a problem, but as we take care of their physical need, we'll tell them how Jesus can fix their heart. That sounds good, but how do you do that? But that idea was a foundation for what today is called iTech, the Indigenous People's Technology and Education Center. Now, I'm going to be sharing some about iTech, but my goal in here this morning is not that you leave knowing about iTech. The goal is that you will catch a vision for the way that you do missions in a more culturally sensitive and biblically correct way. So my family had been involved in missions growing up. Um, Short-term trips. We lived in Mali, West Africa for a year. Lived down in Ecuador. And it was only when we lived with the Waudani that we saw missions from the receiver's point of view. In North America, you don't see what it looks like to have missions done to you until you can see the receiver's point. And being from a dominant culture, we never get the opportunity to actually see that. We do these things called wow vision trips where you begin to get a glimpse of that. But we saw missions from the receiver's point of view. And the Waodani, they knew that the Bible, which they only have the New Testament, they knew that the Bible says that all Christ followers have a role to play in the Great Commission. Not just those that have skin like us or that live in this place or that everybody in the U.S., in Europe, in South America, in Africa, in Asia, even in, um, what's the big, uh, where Mitch is from? Australia, even Antarctica, if there's any people that live there. Every Christ follower has a role to play. So this is all about, you know, it's been said, if you, um, you can teach men to fish or you can catch fish for them. Right? If you... I mean, you can give a guy a fish every day. And you know what? Western missionaries, that's what we like to do. Hey, here's for today. Here's for tomorrow. Here's for the next day. But if we teach them how to fish, then we can go teach other people how to fish because they already know how to fish. And they can teach other people how to fish and feed themselves for a lifetime. All right, the mission. I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. Three, in fact. Thank you very much. Yes. Come on. Oh, yeah, you. No? Well, you can come up too. Come on up. Go ahead. Come on up. John, thank you very much. I saw your hand up. Come on up. All right, you're going to stand right here. You're going to go right over to the edge. Okay, right here. You're going to stand facing that way. Stand right there. Okay, maybe a step that way. Perfect, because Carly needs to walk around you. Now, put your hands out in front of you, like this. No, you're going to grab a tape measure as she walks around, okay? And you're going to stand on that side, about where he is, but facing that way. And you're going to grab the tape measure. All right. So you have the hard job. You ready? 
You're going to start here. I'm, in, I'm just going to get a little bit of this. And then I'll hold it as you start walking around. All right. All right. So hold right here. And you want that on the outside. So flip it. Perfect. I'm going to hold this and you're going to start walking. No, just, just let it go and start walking. There you go. Now when she comes around, go ahead and grab that tape. It's 300 feet long. And you're going to do all 300 feet. <laughs> now there was a recent Barna study. Now you want to kind of go, okay, now you're doing a circle eight. You, you just do you. All right. There was a recent Barna study that asked churchgoers in the U.S. Okay, these are people who attend every week. Now you're watching her instead of watching me. That's fine. But you need to listen. The Barna study asked people this. Do you know, do you, do you know what the Great Commission is and what is it? 51% of churchgoers, weekly church attenders, said no, they do not know what the Great Commission is. Only 17% said yes, and this is what it means. Yet the one mission that God has given us on this planet is the Great Commission. For all Christ followers to participate, and only 17% of the churchgoers in this country know what the Great Commission is. I think there's a problem. You keep on walking. So we find the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And ultimately it says this. Go and make disciples. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2 we find out what disciples really are. When Paul says to Timothy, he says, The things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men, We'll be able to teach others also. Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay? So now, how many generations? We see four generations in that verse. We see Paul, Timothy, faithful, others. The true test of discipleship is not your disciple. It's your disciple's disciple. Carly, your job is done. Gentlemen, stay right where you are. You can just set that down. Yeah, right there. Perfect. Now, in, so you guys are. What's your name? Bruce. Bruce and John. Y'all just hang out for a second. So, it's, discipleship is kind of like parenting. The true test of parenthood is not how your kids turn out; it's how your grandkids turn out. Because it's not just a. I can force my girls. To bend to my will. But then when they're out of the house and they have families of their own, what are they going to do? So my job as a father is not only to teach them how they should live, following God's carvings, as the Bible would say, but also how they should parent their kids. Are you with me? Now, if y'all want to just hold that tape up just a little bit, like hold it up so everybody can see it. Today in the world, there are approximately 7.8 billion people. Of those, about 3.2 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. So this 300-foot tape is going to represent, we're going to round down to 3 billion. 
300 feet is going to equal 3 billion. Are you with me? So, 300 feet equals how many people? 3 billion people. Alright, gentlemen, y'all can, y'all can set that down. Just set it right where it is. Yep. Perfect. Thank you very much. Now, today in the world, there are approximately, we're going to round, use round numbers. I'll give you some more specifics in a moment. There's approximately 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries in the world. Are you with me? 300 feet equals? 3 billion. Or we could say 300 feet equals the Great Commission. Right? So, on this scale, where 300 feet equals 3 billion people, the 100,000 missionaries comes to about one-eighth of an inch. On this scale, 3 billion. Now, let's say that each of these missionaries are real go-getters. And in some places, this would be nearly impossible. In some places, much more possible. But let's say that each one of them reaches 500 people with the gospel. Okay? So, 3 billion people is 300 feet. 100,000 missionaries equals about an eighth of an inch. So, if each one of them reaches 500 people, we get to approximately 5 feet. Are you with me? So, what we've done is we've sent 100,000 missionaries... And this is not us, North America. This is the global church has sent 100,000 missionaries. Each one reaches 500 people. We get to 5 feet out of 300 feet. One of two things is the case. Either Jesus gave us a mission that is impossible for us to complete or we're not doing God's will God's way. Those are really the only two alternatives. Now, being a dad, I've never told one of my girls to do something that I knew they could not physically do. I never have. Now, let's redo the math and do it God's will, God's way. Not God's will our way, God's will, God's way. Let's take those 100,000 missionaries to right here. And let's say each one of them disciples 60 indigenous Christ followers. And each of the 60 reaches 500. Do you know where we get to? We get to 300 feet. We get to the Great Commission. Do the math. The only missing ingredient there is to train and equip indigenous Christ followers. The mission is not yours or mine. The mission is the global church. And so often, and you're going to see some of these principles in some of the videos, story after story after story, and I know you have stories as well, about going somewhere and doing things for people while, you, while people there that need jobs are sitting on the sideline. Now, the actuality is that there are only 59,000 long-term foreign evangelicals, missionaries in the world today. And do you know what country is the highest receiving one? The United States. Fifty-nine thousand long-term evangelical missionaries. 
Now, one more statistic, and then we're going to move into the principles. And this was this was, may not be surprising to you, but there was a study that was done for North Americans, uh, people from the U.S., that um, asked for every $100,000 that people, Christ followers in the U.S. made, how much of that goes to missions. So if we were combining all of our incomes here today, and then we divide that by 100,000, okay? And we take that 100,000, statistics show that out of every $100,000 that Christ followers in the United States make, $107 goes to missions. Which I think is like one-tenth of one percent, correct? Because 10% would be 10,000. No, it's, it's one one-hundredth of a percent. I mean, it's small. Now, of that $107, only $1 goes to reach unreached people groups. So out of every $100,000 that Christ followers in the U.S. make, only $1 is going to reach 3 billion people. For me, that was shocking. How in the world is Jesus going to come back and say, man, well done. When we are sending $1 out of every $100,000 that we make to reach what Jesus called us to do. And I may be preaching to the choir. I get it. But those are the statistics of the church today in North America. Alright, five principles. Principle number one, learn to listen. If we want to have a long-term impact on short-term trips, the first thing, and we are not good at this, the first thing we need to do is learn to listen. So I've been married for 24 plus years. And my wife will oftentimes tell me problems that she's dealing with. Now guys, what is my job? What what do I think my job is? Fix it. I have a three-step plan. A, B, C. Do these things. Problem solved. Ladies, my wife looks at it a little bit differently, doesn't she? She doesn't want me to fix her problems, does she? All she wants me to do is to listen. She wants me to identify with her problem and not fix it. Hard. To, to get through our heads, right? Have you guys seen the video with the nail? It's not about the nail. But you, I just have this really bad headache. There's a nail. It's not about the nail. You need Just do that. It's a husband and a wife. She has a nail in her forehead. And he's trying to fix the problem. And she says, that's not the problem. We want to fix it. But in missions, what we need to do is we need to learn to listen. Um, I'm going to show a video here of uh, Mike Goddard here in a moment. But Oscar Murillo, um in The Missions Dilemma. Now let me just tell you, the, this example is found in the book The Great Omission. Um, there's a QR code on our brochure. If you scan that, you'll get a free copy of The Great Omission. You'll get a free copy, these are electronic, of The Missions Dilemma, which is a seven-part DVD that we filmed right here at Southeast. We do have hard copies of the book. Um, you can feel free to come by and give one. If you want to make a donation, great. If you don't want to make a donation, take one anyway. Um, as long as you read it, 
Um, but let me get back to um, so Ashkamuru in the Missions Dilemma said this. He said, "People from the U.S. come over and they try to fix us. We've been fixed so many times; we're a real mess now." He said, "What we really need is we need a brother to come over and give us a shoulder to cry on." He said, "You come from a dominant culture." As soon as you speak, the conversation is over. So just come and listen. Most of you know that there are three rules in real estate. Location, location, location. I would submit to you from Oscar that there are three rules in missions. Listen, listen, and listen. Let me show you this video. Hopefully the volume works. Uh, This is Mike Goddard. Mike Goddard is with Partners for Paraguay working with indigenous leaders in the Amazon of Paraguay. Usually, 
uh, comes in the mind of the, the local, saying, "Oh, now yes, now I understand how I can how I can overcome this issue." Hey, by the way, can you help train me to do that? Uh, uh, of course, the answer is yes, absolutely. Let's walk together through this. That's where short-term missions is headed, and it needs to go. We have to listen. When we listen and do not talk, and it takes time. Listen, this method, it's not going over. Our typical North American missions, what we do is we have an agenda. Before we leave, we know what every hour of every day is going to be. We need to go and we need to be with them. Sit with them. Learn from them. And when we do that, then we'll get to principle number two. We need to understand the need. So often we go over, and what Mike was saying, we go over and we fix a need that we perceive that they have. But they don't have that need. It's like building Western-style latrines over in Africa. You know what? For us, we see that as a problem. Like we need to go and... and we need, they need Western-style latrines. But you know what? Nobody ever takes a, a magazine into a squatty potty. They just don't. There's not going to be a long line because you're in, you're out. They're, have you guys seen the Squatty Potty commercial? Okay? The unicorn, rainbow unicorn? If you want to laugh, just search up Squatty Potty um, commercial. I'll leave it at that. So the second one, when we listen we will begin to understand the need from their point of view, not from our point of view. Because they are the ones that need to be, they are the ones that understand their culture and their community and their need more than we do. We have a notion based upon our context, looking through the lens of our culture on what their need is. We need to listen to them so we begin seeing through their lens And then we will begin to understand the need, what they perceive as a need. Now, um, for each one of these, you may have guessed, I have a video that I want to show you. So it's not just Jamie up here talking to you. And you're like, oh, that was was kind of a nice presentation or it was okay. I want you to hear from people in the U.S. and people overseas about this. This is um, Galo Ortiz. Galo Ortiz is the director of iTech Ecuador. He is from Shell. His grandparents, my grandparents used to buy things from his grandparents. So there's three generations of relationship. And he talks about missions being done to them. And I, this is, yeah, I think you get it. Understand the need. There we go. Let's try this again. Well, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that as people uh, being raised in a developed country like this, it makes you and gives you more perspectives and ideas about how to do things. 
uh, because the resources, because the the information, the infrastructure, and, and it is great. You know, I think a, a partner from the United States, it's it's really viable. Now, trying to understand what's the need is the hard part because normally we have a solutions here. You know, there's you get in the internet and you and you get a solution for almost anything. Um, but how that can be effective in the receiver end, that's that's the hard part. Um, we can probably say, well, they don't have a good quality water, for example. And it happened to us. Um, well, we can install a filter. You can get filters. But we don't know what kind of water they are receiving. Me as growing up in Shell, we don't have uh, uh, good, you know, good quality water. Not because it has bacteria, but because it has a lot of sand and mud. So, in our area, a lot of people wanted to install filters. You know what happened? The first day, they run out of water. Why? Because the filters get clogged with sand and mud. Filter cleans water? Yes. It's a, you know, everywhere in the United States, you install filter water purifier, it works. But there, works for a day. So, how do you know that? Because you live there, you get connections, you get information, and you get the right need. We need to understand the need from their point of view, not, not what we perceive as the need. They are the experts of their culture, of their location. So we need to learn to listen, understand the need. And then we need to, third, we need to build on what they have. They need to own it right from the very beginning. If you and I own it, if we go and build a building... Do you know what they say? No, that's their building. They built it. But when they have ownership right from the very beginning, then they are the ones that own it. They are the stewards of that. So this is uh, principle number three. This is uh, Tom McKechnie um, with Teach to Transform talking about um, build on what they have. started missions, it was go and do. You know, I did the huge medical clinics, uh, a lot of them through Southeast, we, we would see just uh, patient after patient. But it was, the line was, uh, was you could never, uh, the day wasn't long enough to see the hundreds and, and sometimes thousands of patients uh, that we would see on these trips. So the question kept being asked to me and gnawing at me, why am I leaving uh, when there's so many more to see? And So God was speaking to me about the way I was doing it. And then one particular trip I was on, um, uh, the team was sick, so I was up every night and I heard crying in the distance. And I thought, how peaceful is this? And saw these little bit of fires. And uh, So the next morning, my first patient, uh, a mother came and said, my child felt hot, wasn't eating, and couldn't breastfeed anymore. So I thought, well, just a respiratory infection. And when I opened up the blanket to my horror, the baby had died. So 
I reflected on that and I said, God, what are you, what are you showing me by this? And it came to me very quickly. What if she would? What if she knew the signs of respiratory distress in a newborn? What if I could have trained someone to recognize that this baby should have been looked at a day or two ago? So um, through that process, I started to look at the way I was doing missions. So what we do when we go travel overseas is we make it, um, before we ever line things up, we let the partner know, look, we're not coming and paying for everything and doing everything. That's not how it works. What part are you going to contribute? In-country travel, logistics on site, a safe place to stay, safe food, you know, somewhere that's close to the training center, wherever we're going to do the training. They need to, they need to do that. They also need to contribute something for the tools. Otherwise, there's no value to them in it. If they don't have any skin in the game, there's no reason for us to go. But when they have skin in the game, now they may only be able to pay a small amount of the overall cost in country. We're not talking about airlines or any of that stuff. Just the cost in country. But when they can, when they do what they can do, then they have ownership. And when they have ownership, they are the stewards of that. And if somebody comes to train and their local church sent them and paid for their way to go, there's also built-in accountability. Because the church that paid for them to go to the training, then we don't get paid as trainers, but participating with whatever the part they can participate, then that church is saying, look, we paid for you to go do that. What are you doing with it? And there's that accountability. So we need to build on what they have. They need to own it right from the very beginning. Principle number four is go and train. When, once we've listened in order to understand the need, and they know that they have to own it right from the very beginning, so they have skin in the game, then we need to go and train. Um, this next video is uh, Frank or Francis Bucacci with Hope Alive Initiatives. He has a session. He had one yesterday. And he has one tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Um, now, he's a little bit soft-spoken, but man, wealth of wisdom coming from Francis. He is the founder of Hope Alive Initiatives. One of the approaches of helping churches to have an impact in poor communities, you have to help them to see that they have a role to play in the Great Commission. They have to learn to obey the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Concern. Because what happens is there is always a temptation to rely on outsiders to do the work for them. When actually, the Bible says clearly, they will labor as a few. So our goal is to make sure that these local churches, the pastors and leaders, become effective laborers in their communities. Because the church is the key to the transformation of their communities. I don't think government can do it. I think over working over time in several countries, the government doesn't have enough resources in any country to solve problems in the community. So for us, we believe the church is key in bringing transformation in communities. That is means spiritual change, uh, mind change, things to do with education, physical taking care of physical needs, meeting social needs, um, we find people are lonely, we need counseling, and some countries, basically, there are no counselors. 
So we train churches in all those areas to learn to meet those needs. Uh, biblically, we also believe that the church is God's footprint on the ground. Without the church, the Lord cannot work in a community. He needs us, and we need him. So we need to go and train. So often in, in short-term missions, we focus on going and doing. What we're trying to do is we're trying to find ways to go and train. So that whatever we're doing, that whatever we training that we do, they continue to do it after we leave. If you go talk to any, any physician who's been overseas, in like a medical brigade or dental brigade, and there are places where those are necessary. Like you can't go and train somebody. But what they will tell you is at the end of the week, the line is always longer than when they got there. But what we learned from the Waodani is that when we only go and help some, it can actually create animosity because some of the Wow who had walked three days to go see the dentist who was just loading up in the airplane to leave said, now our teeth hurt worse because their teeth are fixed. We need to go and train. What does that look like? Well, you guys know what your, your skill set is. We're not trying to train people to become doctors and nurses and dentists. We're trying to train them to be the front line of health care in places where there is no health care or dental care. And it's amazing. Come talk to one of our medical people or one of our dental people at our booth and just hear the story after story after story about how communities have been transformed. A lot of times the church is trying to go into unreached people groups and they don't have access because they don't have anything to meet the needs of the people there. But if people have dental problems and you go in, now the best people to share the gospel are the people that are closest like to the, to the people that they're sharing the gospel with. You and I, if you haven't been through Perspectives, I highly recommend it. In perspectives, they have this thing called an E-scale, an evangelism scale. And if somebody comes into your church, that is E-0. There is no barrier for that for you to share the gospel. E-1 and E-2 would be somebody from that community or somebody from a nearby community, speak shared languages, they look the same, they understand the culture. You and I would be like E-3 and E-4. We don't look like them. We don't talk the language. We don't know the culture. And we can go into a lot more of that. But the key for transformation is the local church. Empower the church to be the hands and feet of Christ in a community. And they will be, not only will they be able to go into unreached people groups, there will be unreached people groups inviting them and begging them to come. Because that's what happens. Principle number five is follow up. So we learn to listen, we understand the need, we build on what they have so they own it, we go and we train, and then we need to follow up. This is Umal from from Uganda. Umal is a medical clinician that was taught by Empower Approach how to do um, dental extractions. And then he came on a couple iTech trips. And on this last one in Tanzania in July, he was actually one of the trainers alongside our U.S. dentists.
and you come. If you come and pull out a hundred teeth in two days, that's great. But there's 34,900,000 teeth that are out there, that, and you're not going to do that. So why don't you treat someone and then train them to do this? Do the, train them better, though. You know, if you train them better, then, and then come back and check on them. How are you doing? How is it going? How can I help you better? Polish on it. They get better. Then go your way. Go somewhere else and train somewhere else. That is that. That's way much better than just coming and putting teeth and go. So go and teach them. Go and follow up. Polish their skills. And then what did he say? He said, go do it somewhere else. We don't need you anymore. That's what discipleship is, is it not? We need to be constantly working ourselves out of a job. We go and we train, and then we leave. Now, if you're a dentist or a, a, a doctor or nurse or whatever, you can see more patients in that one week than what the indigenous people will see. But what about week two? And week three? So we were just in Tanzania, and we trained nine people. Two were doctors. Everybody had some sort of medical background. It was from, they were all with African Inland Church, Tanzania. And they put a stipulation that they had to have some medical training of some kind. Now, they came and we taught them how to do extractions. The day we left, they saw the rest of the patients that were still in line. We weren't even involved in it, didn't tell them to do that. They did that. And we've been getting regular reports for the last couple months of this of the doctor who's over African Inland Church, um, Tanzania medical side. He has gone to each of the... We train people in five different areas, nine people total. He's been going and checking on them and sending us reports. And so year-round, if you have a, a hurting tooth in northeast Tanzania, it's going to be somebody who speaks your language who understands your culture, who may live down the road, is involved in a church, they're going to do the... And you know what's great about dental extractions? If you go to a dentist, what do they do? As soon as they start working on you, they start asking you questions and talking to you. And you can't say anything, so you have a captive audience. And so while you're extracting their tooth, the tooth that they may have been hurting for months, and you say, you know what? When that tooth, do you wake up tomorrow morning? After having a good night's sleep instead of waking up with that abscessed tooth, you just thank Jesus because of that. You know what? They cannot deny what they have experienced. So we need to follow up. Follow up. Now, what, what do we end up with? We end up with Christ followers around the world walking together in humility. So often in North America, we think low technology equals low intelligence. It's not true. The Waudani, the people that we trained had no formal education of any kind. But when we go down and take groups down in the jungles, they, they had no idea that we don't know how to climb trees with a climbing vine. Like, how do, you not know, how do you live if you don't know how to do that? They didn't believe us until we had somebody say, okay, take this vine and climb up the tree. And they couldn't get up the tree. And they realized the things that we know that have been passed down to us, 
That's not just common knowledge. And they teach us how to live out in the jungles. So we need to understand low tech, not low intelligence. Two very different things. But what ends up happening is we walk together in humility. For the sake of the three billion. At the foot of the cross. Um, short video here from um, from Charlie Vidano. He is the missions pastor here. He was our first training dentist at iTech. And he was the guy that started Empower. Let me quickly, before I show you that video, then I'll open it up. I know we have like three or so minutes. But if you want to stay and answer questions or ask questions for a few minutes. But let me just share a few of the organizations that are doing this, that are exhibiting here. There's Empower Approach. They're on the upper floor on the far right side, if you're looking at the exhibit hall. Teach to Transform, I believe, are they downstairs? Or are they upstairs? They're upstairs, upstairs, close to Empower. Then there's two organizations, Life in Abundance and ITEC, that are down on the lower floor across from each other on the left-hand side. Okay? Got a couple LIA people here. Um, Got um, an Empower person. Got an ITEC person. Go and see these organizations. Fame is another one. I think they're leaving after dinner. So you need to catch them. If you're going to catch them today, they're on the bottom floor on the right side. Alright, so you have those five organizations. Empower, Teach to Transform, Fame, LIA, Life in Abundance, and ITEC. Go see them. Alright? And this is uh, Charlie, the missions pastor here. So Charlie just had a uh, session yesterday. He has another one in the next breakout session, I think in the education wing. And he's talking about these things, about going and and teaching and training rather than going and doing. Because we can go and do and feel like we're very, very busy and we're doing well. But you know what ends up happening? This isn't getting reached. I've shown you. If, if we go and we train and let the indigenous church be the hands and feet of Christ in their community and we come back and do it here, then do you know what ends up happening? <clears throat> Those three billion people have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, we all come from different churches and different backgrounds. But we do need to work with people, other people. And there are hills to die on. But so often, here, what we do is we focus, well, you know, they drink wine for communion. I wouldn't do that. It's grape juice for me. And their music is like this, and our music is like this. So their preacher goes for 45 minutes. I can't handle more than 20 minutes. And all the things that divide us. But if we can agree on one God, one Savior, one Spirit, one body, and one mission, then you know what? We're going to spend eternity together. Might as well start getting along now. 
for the sake of the three billion. Alright, any questions before I before we head over to our next sessions? I know there are questions. Let me invite you to come to those booths that I talked about. Our iTech team is at our booth. LIA is right across the, the aisle from us. Come and talk and explore. Um, we have, I think, nine of us here from iTech. So, and if you get John Spen, like you can get a group and John, you can hear John. But come pick up a copy of The Great Omission. If you want to make a donation for that, that's great. If you don't, take one anyway as long as you read it. Um, other books that will help you, helping, um, When Helping Hurts. Okay, that was a book that came out after The Great Omission. Then Toxic Charity, Charity Detox. Great books to kind of get this, you know, this mindset. Don't go and, and do, go and train. Thank you. All right, have a good afternoon. If you know of somebody, we're doing the same session again at 4 o'clock right here in this room. Share it with somebody, invite them to come.